Good morning, good morning. Hey, do you remember your conversion experience? Do you remember where you were? Do you remember what was going on as God drew you to himself and invited you into this relationship with him? Hey, do you remember as you turned from your old way of life and you turned to God and, and, and the hope and the joy and the life that you found? Hey, do you remember? Do you remember that? Now, for some, it happens, you know, when you were young. And for some, you know, you kind of grew up in the church, going to church. Maybe you talked to your parents or, you know, it was with a pastor or youth pastor or somebody. And, and you had this conversation. And then you just knew. I mean, God was with you. God was for you. And your life would never be the same for others. It happened. Maybe it was a Sunday morning or maybe it was when you were in college or maybe when you were, you know, in your 20s or 30s or 40s or 50s. And, and you just realized, I'm living for the things of this world and it, it's shallow and yet God's got a bigger plan. God has a bigger purpose. And there was something that happened in you and your life was forever changed by the grace and the goodness of God. Well, this morning we're going to see a conversion that happened back in the Old Testament. It, it was powerful. And this guy's life was radically changed. And, and we're going to see that today. And we're going to unpack that. And I want you to think about your story and what God is doing in your life as we see God's word today. Well, welcome back. We're in this great series called Daniel, Living a, a Life Uncompromised, this uncompromised life. And, and Daniel was written, you know, 2,600 years ago. It's a book in the Old Testament. And yet it's so relevant and powerful for what we're going through today. What we're experiencing, and, and God took this guy, Daniel, and Daniel, we saw in chapter 1, when Daniel was 15 years old, and, and his, his city was conquered, the city of Jerusalem, it was besieged by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the, the big, you know, world power at that time, and, and Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were taken off. They were, thought they were going to be kings there in, you know, Jerusalem, they thought their whole life was kind of planned out, and then this happened, and they found themselves living in a pagan culture in a pagan land. It was unexpected, but it didn't catch God off guard. And Daniel stayed faithful to God. In fact, Daniel's name means the Lord is my judge. And he lived his life for an audience of one. It didn't matter where he was. It didn't matter what was going on. He lived his life for God. He remained faithful. And in Daniel chapter 1, we saw as the, the king brought the royal food and the wine. And, and Daniel said, no, no, that goes against, you know, what I believe and what I was taught. And, and he stood up. He made a stand, and God honored that, and he found favor with King Nebuchadnezzar. He found favor there in the Babylonian kingdom. And in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. He doesn't know what it means. He calls in all the magicians, the enchanters. Everybody comes in, and, and nobody can interpret the dream. And then God had given wisdom to Daniel. It's like God's given wisdom to us through the power of his Holy Spirit. And Daniel comes in and interprets the dream. And, and, and God gives him more favor there in Babylon. And then last week we saw in Daniel chapter 3 is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these three guys, right? These three young men. And, and King Nebuchadnezzar builds this giant idol and says, everybody, I'm going to bring in the royal band. And when the royal band plays, everybody bow down and worship. Everybody bows down and worship. And these guys stood not going to do it. We're worshiping God. We're living our lives for Him. In the midst of that pagan culture, they stood. And they were taken and they were thrown into a fiery furnace. <laughs> and they didn't burn up. The pre-incarnate Jesus Christ was there with them in the furnace. And God is with us in the fire. Whatever you're going through today, listen, you're not alone. Never once did you ever walk alone. God is with you. And God is there for you. And God's going to be there right by you. And these guys made such an incredible impact on the kingdom back then. And we're going to see it unfold today in Daniel 
chapter 4. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open with me to Daniel chapter 4. Oh, this is so good. Old Testament, right? So if you kind of turn back, he's one of the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, uh, right there in this area. Daniel chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, we have a free Bible for you in the back. If you want to pick one up, uh, you can get that now or after the service. Also, if you have a mobile device, you can access the scriptures online and follow along with what God's Word has to say. Um, We'll put the words on the screen as well. So pick up here, Daniel chapter 4, look at verse 1. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar, to the peoples, nations, and men of every language who live in all the world, may you prosper greatly, exclamation point. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are His signs, how mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Now, a couple of things I want you to notice as we kick off here. If you notice in Daniel 1 through 3, Daniel's writing this, right? It's from Daniel's point of view. And, and now we switch here, and in, in Daniel 4, King Nebuchadnezzar is writing. And King Nebuchadnezzar is the most powerful man in the world at this time. Okay, this would be like the, you know, the President of the United States. This would be like, you know, uh, Alexander the Great back in those days. I mean, this is like this guy ruling the world, and he comes and he says, I want you to know what God has done in my life. And he makes a proclamation, a, a div- you know, a big royal proclamation here to the peoples, nations, and men of every language who live in all the world. This guy's not hiding behind it. This guy's putting it out there. It'd be like today, you know, we post it on Facebook or we take out an ad in the New York Times. I mean, we're, we're saying to everybody, this is what's happening. This guy is fired up. We're seeing what God did in his life. And then he tells us a story. He's like, this is what happened. I want everybody to know what happened to me. Pick up at verse 4. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. He's like, I'm really wealthy. I've conquered a ton of nations. I'm highly successful. And I'm walking around thinking about all I've got. And I had a dream. I had a dream that made me afraid. And I was lying in my bed, and the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. And when the magicians, the enchanters, the astrologers, the diviners, they came to me, and I told them the dream, they they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. He is called Bethshazzar, after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. So when we saw Daniel interpret a dream last time, it was Daniel chapter 2, and Daniel was 17 years old. This is 30 years later. So Daniel's in his late 40s, right? And Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. God's trying to get Nebuchadnezzar's attention, just like God's been trying to get our attention all the time. And he has this dream, and it makes him afraid, and he immediately thinks about Daniel. i got to get Daniel. i got to get Daniel. i got to get Daniel over here. You know what I love about Daniel? Daniel is faithful. Right? I mean, we think about the big things that happen to Daniel. We think about the food deal in chapter 1. We think about the dream in chapter 2. We'll think about the lions, Daniel and the lions. Then we'll see that in two weeks. But for 30 years, Daniel just stays faithful. It's in the little things that you stay faithful. It's in the day in, day out. Every decision, being faithful to the Lord. And that's how God prepares you for the big times. That's how God prepares you for the big things that come in your life. And Daniel's ready. I Belteshazzar, I said, Belteshazzar, that's Daniel, right, his Babylonian name, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you. No mystery is too difficult for you. 
here's my dream. So here we go. Nebuchadnezzar says, here's the dream. Here's the dream that I had. Here's what God showed me. Interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in my bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the beasts of the field found shelter, and the birds of the air lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in my bed, I looked, and there before me was a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers, the holy ones declare the verdict, so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of men. This is the dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Bethesazar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. So Nebuchadnezzar says, Daniel, here's the dream. And if you remember in chapter 2, he told everybody, hey, you tell me what the dream is, and then the interpretation. But this time, Nebuchadnezzar's afraid. Because he knows, man, God's getting my attention. God wants to speak to me. God wants to say something. So he goes, I had this dream. There was this big tree. And if you go back and study history, you know, the tree was kind of the icon, the logo for Babylon. They always had these big trees. They, they would inscribe them in different buildings, and that we found that through archaeology. And so he says, I see this huge tree, and it's grown. It's bigger, it's bigger, it's bigger, and it's, you know, meeting the needs for all the fruit and animals. And then all of a sudden, an angel comes down. And this angel says, cut down the tree, but leave the stump and the roots, but cut down the tree. Strip its branches take it away. And Nebuchadnezzar's like, uh, that's a little scary. I don't know what that means. So Daniel, what does it mean? Interpret it for me. Then Daniel, also called Bethesazar, was greatly perplexed for a time. And his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Bethesazar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. So Daniel goes, okay, here you go, I'll tell you. Bethesazar answered, my lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. Now, this took a lot of courage for Daniel, okay, you guys? I mean, remember Nebuchadnezzar's the king that's always saying, hey, you know, kill that person. Tear them limb from limb and make their houses a pile of rubble. And Daniel's going, if he doesn't like this interpretation, it could be me. But Daniel steps up, and he has courage. He says, the tree you saw, which grew large and strong with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the beasts of the field and having nesting places in its branches for the birds of the air. You, O king, are that tree. He's like, God's speaking to you, king. You are the tree. You have become great and strong, and your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. You, O king, saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it. But... 
Leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live like wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, O king. And this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord, the king. You will be driven away from people. You will live with wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its root means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be, it may be that then your prosperity will continue. So Daniel, by the power of the Holy Spirit, speaks to him and says, here you go, king. Here's the interpretation. The tree is you. And God is pronouncing judgment on you. He's going to come and he's going to cut down the tree. It's going to be taken away. In fact, you're going to go out and live with wild animals. You're going to be banished from your own kingdom. That took some guts. You know, that took some courage for him to say it. But I love that Daniel, and I'm sure he's praying the whole time, right? God, speak to me, speak through me, right? And he says, I'll get this in verse 27. Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. So he says, hey, king, listen, listen, listen. I want you to know that God's trying to get your attention. And maybe you're here today, maybe you may have felt far from God, but maybe God brought you here today just to get your attention. Maybe God wants to say something to you today. But Daniel says to the king, king, two things. One, renounce your sins. Right? Renounce your sins. And number two, be kind to the oppressed. And maybe, maybe God will spare you. Maybe you won't have to endure all that's coming. What did Daniel say to him? Daniel said two things, right? Confess your sins. You are far from God. You're living the way of the world. You're walking the wrong path, O king. Turn around and come back to God. Renounce your sins. It's your conversion. It's your experience of knowing God as God's drawing you to himself. But then he said the second thing, right? Be kind to the oppressed. King, look, you you are taking all of your power. You're using it to ruin people's lives. Use it for something good. Do something with it. Be kind. See, your talk has to equal your walk. You know, you you could say, okay, I'm going to come back to God, but there's got to be some evidence in your life. You've got to have some fruit in your life that you are living the way of God. Oh, King, please listen. And I believe God has a word for all of us today. Listen, 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 listen. King Nebuchadnezzar, God had a plan for his life. And if you go back to chapter 1, even verse 2, God sent him and, and he besieged Jerusalem. God gave Nebuchadnezzar so much. But what happened in Nebuchadnezzar's life can happen in all of our lives, right? When we are young, we, you know, we kind of go, man, I need God. And oh, God, I want you there for me. And God, I'm praying. And you pray a lot. And then as you grow older and more prosperous and more successful, we tend to forget about God. And it becomes all about us. And just like he's walking around the palace and he's contented, he's prosperous, and he's thinking, it's all about me. Look what I have done. Look what I have accomplished. And the same dangers there for us. And it can happen in our lives so easily. 
that we move on and we forget about God and we fall in love with the things of the world. You know, I was reading the other day, statistically, the more money people make, the less money people give. Isn't that crazy? The more money people make, the less money people give. And you're thinking, well, that's nuts. Why? I mean, well, think about it. You know, when you're young, you don't have a whole lot. And you're like, well, I made $1,000, you know. And so, sure, I can give $100. I mean, that's not that much money. I can, I can do that, right? That's 10%. That's fine. But then as you grow more prosperous and your business is doing well and everything, next thing you know, you're making $100,000. And you're like, well, I can't give $10,000 back to God. Are you kidding me? That's a lot of money. And God's going, I just gave you $90,000 here. You can't give me $10,000. And then you get more. You go, well, I'm making $300,000. I can't give $30,000. That's a lot of money, God. There's no way I could give my first 10% back to you. And God's going, I just gave you $270,000. Are you kidding? But it happens. Why? Because our heart falls in love with the things of the world. And that's what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. And that's what can happen to all of us. And we start trusting in the things of the world, and our hearts turn away from God, and they grow hard toward God, and we forget about him. And he has this dream, and Daniel interprets it for him. And instead of listening to Daniel, you know what? The dream's fulfilled. This is Nebuchadnezzar, right? It says, all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar 12 months later. 12 months later, he didn't listen. And 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. He said, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power for the glory of my majesty? You notice that? It's all about me. I've done all this. And the words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from the people, and you will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about King Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from the people, and he ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. All of it happened. Now, we don't know if there was a coup. We don't know if there was a revolt. We don't know if, you know, uh, somebody tried to take the throne and Nebuchadnezzar had to escape and live out for seven years. We don't know if he just went mad. You know, if he had a mental breakdown or something happened and he, and he went out. But he lived out and he's eating the grass and his nails are growing like the like claws. And, and he's living out drenched. But then Nebuchadnezzar says, this is what I learned. This is what I learned. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven. And my sanity was restored. Notice the cause and effect, right? I raised my eyes toward heaven. And then my sanity was restored. God, I put you first. I acknowledged you. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. 
No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Notice that. I became even greater than before after I acknowledged God, after I put him first. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven. Now I, verse 37, this is kind of his confession of faith right here. Many biblical scholars would say, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. You guys, these are the last words that we have of King Nebuchadnezzar. These are the very last words that we have of him. And you know what he says in my very last words? I'm making a proclamation to everybody out there. I want you to know it is the king of heaven. He is the sovereign God. And I'm going to follow him. Wow. God had to get his attention. And God wants to get ours. Here's some things I think we learned today. Number one is this. We learned the danger of pride. Guys, we learned the danger of pride. You know, the Bible says in 1 Peter, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud. Now, now it's okay if people are against you, or it's okay if people are against me. You know, people are going to oppose us by what we believe. But I don't want God against me, okay? (laughs) Of all people, I don't want God opposing me, right? But it says God opposes the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. See, pride is the mother of all sins. That's where it all starts. It all starts when we take God off the throne of our hearts and we put ourselves there. We say it's all about us and what we've done. You know, that's what happened to Satan. If you go to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 14, it tells us about Satan. And Satan, in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, it says, How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. I mean, Satan used to be an angel. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, and listen to what Satan said in his heart. Listen, listen. right. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. I, 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 I. It's pride. It's, it's arrogance. It's setting ourselves against God and saying, I don't need God or anybody else because I am in control and I've done this. Wow. There's a danger for all of us, guys. It, it really is. And we always have to check our heart. We have to check our spirit. We have to say in our lives, you know, am I becoming prideful? Am I becoming arrogant? Here's some things that we can recognize pride in our own lives. Here's some things. I don't know if I didn't put this in the notes, but if you want to write these down, these are important. Here's some ways to recognize pride in your own life. Number one, this. If you start to have a spotty prayer life, that's kind of an indication of pride, right? If you have an anemic prayer life, because what you're saying is, God, I don't need to rely on you. I can do it. God, I don't have time to pray. I've got to get out there. I've got to make things happen. I've got to do all this because it's all about me. (laughs) Now, I'm not saying you have to stay home and pray for, you know, 45 minutes or an hour or two hours or three hours. But but at some point during the day, you just sit down and you acknowledge, God, you're in control. 
And God, my life is in your hands. You are sovereign over all. So number one, to recognize pride as a spotty prayer life. And number two is this, becoming easily angered. Becoming easily angered. Do you struggle with anger or with rage? You know what you're saying is, listen, I'm going to take control of this situation. I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to make this happen in my family. I'm going to make this happen at work. And yeah, it wells up within you. It's pride. It's pride. Number three is a critical spirit of others. If you start to have a critical spirit of others, that may be an indication that there's pride in your heart and your life. If you look at others and you're judging by what they wear, what they drive, or, or their cars, or what they do at work, and you find yourself always being critical, you go, well, wait a minute. Maybe that's pride welling up inside of me. Number four is this impatience. Impatience. Do you find yourself impatient? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to happen sometimes, but, but on a consistent basis, are you impatient with people in your home? Are you impatient with your roommates? Are you impatient with people around you? Just impatient. Come on, people. Get out of the way. This is my life, right? Come on. Impatient. And number five is this. Not able to listen or learn from others. That's a big indication of pride. Not able to listen or learn for others, you know. The king, Daniel gives him this advice. Oh, king, please, here, renounce your sins. Stop doing this. And be kind to the oppressed. And in 12 months, he doesn't listen. Maybe he would have avoided seven years of living outside and eating grass like cattle, you know. And in our lives, there's people who speak. and There's godly people that, that have wisdom. And whether it's our parents or our grandparents or whether it's people at church or others. And, and having a spirit that's open to say, I want to learn. I want to listen. God's still speaking to me. God's not finished with me. I have a lot to learn. So number one, the danger of pride. Number two is this, the call to humility. The call to humility. I, I, I love what C.S. Lewis says. C.S. Lewis says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. You see, a lot of times we think about humility and we go, oh, well, I'm going to be humble. Woe is me. I'm terrible. I can't do anything. And no, 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 that's not humility. I mean, you are a son or a daughter of the king of kings. You should have a healthy self-esteem, all right? You should have confidence in Christ. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. True humility is thinking of yourself less. And you start to think about what God is doing. You start to think about what's happening in the lives of others and how you can minister to others. That is humility. In fact, the scriptures tell us in Philippians chapter 2, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility... Consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, like it's okay to look to your own interest, but you shouldn't look only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. And then it goes on in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. It says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being found in human likeness. He took on the appearance of a man and he humbled himself. And became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That Jesus humbled himself. That Jesus, the throne room of heaven, he leaves the throne room of heaven to come down for us. That is humility. Giving his life. And you and I have this call to humility. 
So how do we grow in our humility? How do we grow? Five things. Number one is this. We learn to give God the glory in everything. We, we learn to give God the glory. When good things happen in our lives, right? When we get a raise or we get a bonus or something happens or a relationship happens, we just say, thank you, God. Yeah. I want to give the glory back to you. I didn't do that. I can't control it. But you did. I want to give the glory back to God, immediately recognizing that. Number two is this. We pray in all situations. A lot of times we pray when things are hard. I mean, we've got that down, right? We're desperate. We're like, God, help. But we learn to pray even in the good times. God, you're good. And we just put our attention there. Number three, to grow in our humility. Be generous. Guys, be generous. It, it keeps you humble. It keeps you going, well, God will provide. God will take care of me. Right? We give our first 10% back to God. That, that's just kind of like, you know, Christianity 101. You know, like that's God teaching us. And that, that's our tithe. But even over and above that, when you see a need, you just say, hey, how can I meet that? God's given me some. I mean, I want to help pass on. I want to make a difference. You become generous. It grows your humility. Number four is this. Don't put others down, but build others up. Don't put others down, but build others up. When somebody at work gets a promotion, instead of being jealous and upset and thinking, why in the world did they get that? I should have gotten that. Or We start to build them up. We say, way to go. Good job. That's great. That's awesome. Instead of living in a competition with everybody else, we start to say, how can I build others up when we grow in our humility? And then number five, just acknowledge God's work in your life to others. Acknowledge God's work in your life to others. That keeps you humble. And Nebuchadnezzar, man, this king who was so powerful, and he said, for my last statement, I want to make a proclamation to everybody. This is what God has done in my life. When was the last time you told somebody what God was doing in your life? When was the last time you just said, hey, listen, I have salvation because of the grace of God. You know, and listen what God's doing in my marriage. Listen what God's doing in my family. Listen what God's doing in my church. Listen what's happening. I want you to know. See, that's giving the glory to God. And then number three is this, the impact of faithfulness. We learn the impact of faithfulness in this story I mean, Daniel, this guy at 15, taken away by this king, taken away to a pagan nation. And he could have been bitter. He could have been angry at God. He could have been angry at King Nebuchadnezzar. But you know what? He was just faithful. Day in, day out, faithful. And I bet he was praying for this guy over and over again. God, change the heart of the king. God, draw that king to yourself. God, do something great. I know he's the most powerful man in the world, but God, you are more powerful. God, you can do something. And I want to tell you the impact of faithfulness. And some of you, you, you've been praying for a spouse, and sometimes you want to give up. Or maybe you've been praying for a child, and they used to be walking with the Lord, and they're not, and you just think, oh, God, is it ever going to change? Or maybe you've been praying for a coworker, or maybe you've been praying for a friend. The impact of faithfulness day in and day out. Don't give up. God is using you right where you are. Maybe you don't think it, right? Because you're busy doing all these things. But God is using you. You be faithful. You be faithful. And it tells us in 1 Peter, right? Humble yourselves under the Lord's mighty hand and he will lift you up in due time. You just live a life of faithfulness and you watch God do what only God can do. God is at work. God is at work. God's at work in your home. 
God's at work in our church. God's at work in our community. God's at work in our country. God's at work in our world. And God's calling us to be faithful. You know, Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he, he brought his disciples together. And there was only 12 of them back then. There's a lot more of us today. But, but God brought them together. And Jesus looked them in the eye and he was like, guys, listen, I'm going to do something incredible. <laughs> I'm going to lay my life down for you. I'm going to lay my life down for you. Have you ever thought about that, that somebody died for you? Have you ever thought about that the God of heaven sent his son and his son died for you? And the reason he did is because God has been drawing you to himself. And God is calling you, just like he was with Nebuchadnezzar, hey, renounce your sins. I know you're living this way, but renounce and come back to me and, and be kind to the oppressed. Live a life of faithfulness. Live a life of purpose. And Jesus, with those 12, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, guys, this is my body broken for you. And after supper, he took the cup. He said, this is the new covenant. This is my blood poured out for you. Take and drink in remembrance of me. For when you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so this morning, we join with believers through the centuries. Men and women who have been faithful to God from Daniel on. 2,600 years have come to us. And God is calling us in our day and our time be humble and to be faithful. And this morning, all around the room, there's communion tables that are set up. There's two tables over here. There's two tables in the middle. There's two tables in the back. There's a gluten-free table over here. And I'm going to invite you just a moment to come to the table. This is self-serve today. This is you and God, just you and the Lord. And when you come to the table to break off a piece of the bread and to listen Christ's body broken. Christ's body broken for you. To dip into the cup, his blood poured out for you, and to receive the gift that only God can give. But when you come to the table this morning, I want to ask you to do something. I want you to think about these two things. Is there pride in your life? Have you just over time become arrogant? Look at what I've built. Look at my home. Look at my company. Look at my me, me. Or, and the second is this. Are you being faithful? Are you being faithful to God? Are you being faithful to your family? Are you being faithful to your church? Are you being faithful to the call? Are you being faithful? See, nobody can answer those but, but you. Only God can search a heart. And just as God was trying to get the attention of Nebuchadnezzar, I think God's trying to get all of our attention today. Would you be honest with God? Maybe you want to use this place to pray. Maybe you want to pray together with your spouse or with your family. Or, but come to the, to the table to receive from the Lord. But be open. Be honest be real. Father God, here we are. Your disciples today. And Lord, we come to the table to meet you. 
Father, I pray that you would search our hearts. <laughs> I pray that we would hear from you today. I pray that we wouldn't have to go through seven years or, or whatever it would be, Father, for you to get our attention. I pray that this morning, God, you would draw our hearts to yours. Father, convict us where we need to be convicted. Remind us where we need to be reminded. And open our eyes to this call to humility and faithfulness. Lord, it's so easy for us to get wrapped up in the things of the world like Nebuchadnezzar. It's so easy for us to fall in love with money and power and success and forget about you. But I pray today the confession of our faith, the confession of our hearts would be that you are sovereign and you are Lord. And it's by your grace that we can even come to your table today. Thank you for the gift of Jesus. Thank you for the hope and the joy, the life and the peace that we find in Christ. And it's in the name, the beautiful name of Jesus that we come to your table right now.